Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. If you could pick one guest to have on the show, who would you pick? Well, we're going to pick six. Well, not six guests, but pick six previews. The most accurate preseason preview publication in the biz, at least according to the stats and accuracy rating system from 2012 to 2018. Hello once again, and thanks for snacking on a bowl full of chips, the best-growing national college football podcast in the world. I am Chappie with knowledge like your grandpappy, and you all know my boy Bip with the rhetorical lip. Bip, man, you ready to talk some college football? Yes, sir. It's good to have our first guest on the podcast, Chappie. So I'm excited to talk some underrated, some overrated, and uh, get to know a little more about uh, uh, Brett from Pick 6 and know their process. Yep, I've been very curious. You know, they, they were one of the first follows for, for me on Twitter when, when I joined up about a year ago. And clearly, they don't need much of an introduction because most of the college football Twitter world follows them. Thousands of followers. And again, he's Brett, Pick 6 Previews. Now, Brett, we know you're busy with college football preparation, interviews, and continual analysis, but I assume that makes your life enjoyable, though, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely doesn't. Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Chappie and Biff, for having me on the, the bowl of chips here. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, this is, the, this is my busy time of year here with college football. I'm uh, preparing my 2019 yeah, and, season and for those who have uh, not seen or have not visited Twitter and, and seen the Pick 6 previews, yeah, going you know, one of the things that they, they have posted yeah, on there, it's really the top 12 Twitter, in terms of accuracy for the last seven years. So I'm going to give the top five Lindy's, then Game Plan, then the, the famed Phil Steele, and then Athlon, both publications which I have recently picked up. But at number one is Pick 6 Previews as the most accurate publication in college football. So Brett and Pick 6 Previews are members of the Football Writers Association of America. They're voters for some of the postseason college football awards, such as the Outland Trophy, the Bolitnikoff Trophy, and the Bronco Nagurski Trophy. They also vote on the All-America teams for the Football Writers Association of America. So, Brett, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your website? You kind of already got into that, but maybe go into some of the some of your process. So, without giving away any secrets or any tricks of the trade that, that might be giving away some things, what are the typical things that you look at when making projections and predictions for the next year? Yeah, well, uh, well, first, before I go into the process, uh, again, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Uh, you know, I've seen you guys for about a year on the, on the college football Twitter sphere. Um, you know, one thing I really appreciate with people I follow on Twitter is uh, just the level of detail you guys bring. Uh, you see a lot of these newer accounts. Um, they're kind of just copy-paste accounts, basically. Um, but you guys right. differentiate yourself as being more detail-oriented, which, which I appreciate. Uh, I'd like the, uh, the series of breakout player tweets you guys did. Um, you know, kind of a deeper angle. Everyone knows the starting quarterback of teams, right? But you guys dove in, found some names under the radar, and I found myself agreeing with quite a few of them. So that was nice. I did like the the behind the scenes video you guys did on the on the notebook you have. So for anyone out there, I mean, you got to take take a look at that. These guys do their research; they have their detail, uh, just a high level that you don't really see. 
um, across a, a ton of these newer accounts. So uh, kudos there. Nice job and keep up the good work in, in, in the year two. Thanks, Brett. And then, yeah, so a little bit more about Pick 6 Previews. Uh, me and my co-founder, Mike Nawazia, we launched Pick 6 Previews in 2012 as a college football preview site, pre- previewing what was then the BCS conferences. And immediately out of the gate, we were rated number one uh, in accuracy for, uh, by Stats and Accuracy Ratings, a third-party site that has been tracking prediction accuracy since the 90s. That's above every newspaper, every online publication, all the new, all the uh, magazines you see on newsstands. And uh, yeah, we just continue that through the years. It's mm-hmm. been seven straight years now. Uh, it's crazy to think it's uh, the eighth season coming up. Uh, yeah, it's been on national radio shows, uh, Sirius XM, Fox, uh, ESPN, all the whole bit. Um, yeah, and I'm testing a little bit more the last couple of years. We have the Triple Option podcast where we're previewing games each week. But uh, like I mentioned at the top, it's really the bread and butter is our season preview. It's a really detailed written piece with a ton of stats and graphics, and uh, and I can get more into that now with process. So in terms of process, um, I really focus on going uh, originally back to the back to the actual source. Um, I have three screens going every fall Saturday for 14 hours, right, from noon to 2 a.m. I'm up watching those Pac-12 games. So, uh, and if I missed any games, I rewatch them during the week. Uh, and then uh, when spring rolls around, I try and get my hands on any spring game I can and watch all that. And then uh, making calls around the country to you know local guys on scene covering teams uh, and listening to local podcasts to get a real feel for the for the team and the program. Uh, and then from there, I take raw stats and, and develop my own uh, stats and metrics that I look at each year in predicting teams. Um, really try and stay away from the national companies. Um, they're very broad. Uh, they focus on mostly just the blue bloods and the brand names. Uh, and don't really dig into the details. Uh, that's one thing I'm pretty passionate about. I can dig into really any of the 65 power five teams. And I mean, I could talk an hour on Utah or Boston college or even Kansas, but don't want to bore the audience with that. Um, so yeah, that's really, uh, my, my approach kind of diving in when when you are um, zeroing in on on what's going to differentiate differentiate between who gets second in the league who gets third in the league um, you know what are some of those maybe those stats that are not the obvious you know I mean a, a lot of people look at um, and in the wrong way I think you know maybe total offense total defense scoring offense scoring defense but maybe what are some of the the underlying statistics that that mean a little bit more than than the casual college football fan might see at the surface well, if at a higher level, um, I try and just, uh, I'm all about originality, uh, going directly to the source. So on Saturdays in the fall, I have three screens going for, you know, 14 hours from noon to 2 a.m., uh, just seeing as much as I can, just soaking it all in. Uh, during the week, if I missed a game, go back, watch the hour-long clip of that, uh, every spring game that I can get my hands on this time of year, and, uh, and just checking in regionally uh, with, you know, with guys that cover lo- uh, teams locally on the podcast and radio shows. Um, just trying to go straight to the source because I, I think a lot of times, at least on the national level, um, a lot of the, the publications can be a little bit too high level and kind of too generic and kind of turns into a um, mm-hmm. know, like an echo chamber at times. Yeah. Uh, one example, we'll get to overrated teams, but I mean, Oregon right now, it's just so much hype and it's kind of, when you really dig into it, why is there hype? I mean, it's just kind of a national thing. So, so basically I'm trying to be all about the originality. Right. It's my own, uh, my own metrics, my own stats I've came up with. Um, but I don't rely too much on them. I see some publications or some guys are too, um, you know, 
too much computer based, if you will. Like you got to watch the games too. I mean, numbers are important, right? The, the balance there. But in terms of a, in terms of like a, you know, stat yeah. by stat kind of thing, one thing that the national media I think looks too much at. I know I think they don't look they don't look enough at coaching. Um, because I know it, it's not always reflected in the rankings or what's called, but it's the intangibles of that. Um, and I'm going to break down a couple few uh, exact examples when we get into these teams. But I think coaching isn't looked at enough. Um, and I think the national guys tend to look too much at the blue bloods and the and the brand teams. Um, now I don't know, maybe that's them trying to sell copies, or I, I'm not sure. But um, I I love digging in deep into all 65 power fives. Uh, I mean, I, I could talk an hour on Utah or. Boston College or even Kansas, right. but uh, I don't want to bore your audience. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just think uh, being able to dig in and, and really, um, I don't know, just get down to a, a deeper detail level that you, you, that you don't see. Some exact some exact stats I look at, um, you know, so I, I created a formula called Game Grader because um, when you look back at seasons, I mean, a 10-win season isn't always the same. Um, you, you're looking at scoring differential, yardage differential, turnover margin, um you know, yards per play right. differential, just all kinds of deeper stats really give you a deeper meaning. I know one example would be um, Nebraska went four and eight in 2017 and uh, went the same record last year, but they actually were one of the top 10 improvements. Uh, you, you look back at some of these 2018 games and they were real close and we'll talk more on them later in the show, but, but basically getting at that there's a, a deeper way than just looking at the win loss mm-hmm. column or, you know, um, just prior yeah. year result. You got to dig in a little bit further. Uh, so that's one example of that. Yeah, I appreciate you going into the the depth there. Again, this is Brett from Pick Six Previews, and I, I appreciate your comment on the coaching because, especially, you know, when there's a change in a a key position coach like quarterbacks coach or defensive line um, or even offensive line coach, but then even going the next level up in offensive or defensive coordinators, um, you know, a lot of the national publications focus on the head man, but uh, more important than the head man are the guys that are coaching underneath him. And so, you know, I look at a position like North Carolina. A lot of people say, well, Mac Brown might be a little bit too old to get back in the game it's passed him up he's been out of it for so long but he made some home run hires with phil longo as his offensive coordinator jay bateman as his defensive coordinator bringing in tim brewster bringing in dre Bly, two good recruiters and brewster's a, a well-known special teams coach so i think that that has a a huge significance on to where a team might lie in the upcoming season or even in the next two or three years more than just okay well this head coach did this or that um in the past but you know we either think or we don't think that they can carry that on in the future yeah exactly i mean uh if, if you rely too heavily on recruiting rankings uh i mean they're, they're definitely important but you need to also look at the other half of that is the staff are they developing the talent are they maximizing the day uh their scheme conducive to actually you know performing at a high level um, their Western focus. So it's kind of a perfect example of the way that Fitzgerald continues to grind out nine win and 10 win seasons. When you look at Cruzan, you know, it's 25 at the class on average. Um, so the way that he's able to maximize that and just grind out uh, all the intangibles. I mean, they were the, the least penalty team by far in 2018. And uh, it sounds silly, but when you look at it, uh, that razor thin margin of errors had all year. Uh, if they were as sloppy as, say, a Florida State, then uh, mm-hmm. a lot of those toss-up games, because the way you're probably six and six, you're not, you know, in for the bill. So um, I use that as a weird one. Um, showing you the two different staffs, even though one has all the recruiting and the blue chips on hand, and for the um, Florida State couldn't maximize or could really be calm on the field. So it, it's a huge example. And uh, I think the reason why it gets overlooked a lot is it's hard to quantify, really, um, because you know, win-loss record and stats; those are numerical. You have recruiting rankings are numerical, returning production and and uh, starters are a number. Uh, but really, the intangible is coaching. You can't really put a number on it. So you need to kind of bring in a, a, a deep level of research and, uh, and experience just 
analyzing staffs like you know, you're on the path of UNC. I had some of the similar points on my show there too, the Tufts uh, podcast. So totally in agreement with you there. This is Brett from Pick Six Previews, and Bit maybe you can chime in on this as well. Uh, the the transfer portal issue that's come up and has really been the the hottest topic of the off season. You know, you talk about recruiting, Brett. How much has this transfer portal thing? Uh, possibly messed with with people in our fashion with preseason projections and and uh, rankings because you know you look at a, a team's recruiting over the last four years and those numbers really have a lot of asterisks by them now because you know you take a, a school like USC who has had you know a handful of five star guys transfer out yeah. and then you know you look at a team like or a program like. Illinois, who seems to be reaping most of the USC benefits um, and how those recruiting rankings change. What sort of change do you think that that has made with, with preseason projections? Or do you think that you know the, the best in the biz can find a way around it? Yeah, it's definitely a newer issue. I think you saw the amount of transfers just skyrocket this year. Um, especially the number of uh, immediate eligibilities. And I mean, that could be a whole different episode, but uh, I don't want to get into that because it seems pretty ridiculous, the inconsistencies they use, right. um, the NCA that is. But um, on ter- in terms of predictions for this year, right. uh, as I was going through team by team, um, I will throw out a, a plug for 24-7. Uh, they have this transfer portal, I mean, basically what you'd expect it to be. It just lists mm-hmm. all the departures, all the incomings, and if anyone's still kind of in tr- transfer portal limbo, um, per team, per position, everything. So, uh, yeah. So as I was going through my team write-ups, I kind of consulted that first to see the damage or, or what they, you know, what what they brought in. And what I noticed was it was a lot of depth guys, like maybe younger guys that weren't starters. Um, so uh, yeah, there you're, there's some obvious cases where star players are changing programs, like you know Justin Fields going to Ohio State and Jalen Hurts over to Oklahoma. Um, yeah, there and and there are some outliers, like you mentioned, um, in terms of quantity with right. USC departures. Um, Virginia Tech had a ton of departures, Penn State, uh, and then teams bringing them in was Miami benefited greatly from that. Yep. And you said Illinois, I saw they, they got another quarterback out of it. So, right. yeah, so there are some outliers, but yep. in general, I, I think it's, you know, a handful of guys, maybe some depth guys, yep. but uh, I think the way around it will be, I don't think it'll really impact our predictions this year, um, except in those outliers. I think for next year and maybe the year after when, you know, now those, you know, depth guys are becoming starters at other schools. I think I'm going to rerun my five-year uh, recruiting average, you know, weighted average kind of thing I do, um, and try and factor in, and uh, we'll figure out a way to kind of recalculate what kind okay. of talent is on hand at, at these at these schools. It's been a, it's been a mess, though. I will admit that. I mean, I, I haven't looked it up, but I want to do a Control F and see how many times I type Portal in this in this preview. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but it's it's certainly worth uh, worth looking at. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be one of the top things on the table for the NCAA committee to sit down with next year. I think that there's going to be a lot more parameters, and there's going to be a lot more black and white with the the, the transfer system uh, more so than there was this offseason. So I think it is going to get easier for college football fans and uh, you know people who who do what we do to to make it more finite, but, uh, it makes it fun on the surface, but when you go deeper, it really can drive you crazy to a point. So, but you know, we talk about, uh, this being a job. Well, it's not a job when it's a passion and we too are passionate about delivering the, some of the best college football content and character info and insight before, during, and after the quote unquote season hits. True passion never takes a sick day. That's why it's best to continue coming here to a bowl full of chips, the podcast with the efficient delivery of an air raid quarterback. We know you all have your opinions, too, and sometimes we hit, and sometimes you may think we miss way wide right. So use the Twitter sphere to share your passion and contention. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. 
And he is at Pick 6 Previews. Again, that's Brett from Pick 6 Previews. So give us a follow. Give us all a follow if you're not doing so already. We don't want to beg, but we have a long way to go till we get to Pick 6 level. So uh, give some love to, to, to Bip and I. You can also visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips on Twitter, and where you can visit our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information, including lists, rankings, and previews. You can also find links to our previous podcasts and contact us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. And Brett, you want to give the, the listeners your uh, website link again? Yeah, so um, it's most it's pick6previews.com, and the Twitter is at pick6previews. That's all spelled out and uh, in one word on, on our handle. Um, you'll see everything come through on our Twitter feed, really. Um, that's kind of the, the, the source um, the Twitter is way more active than the website. Like I mentioned, it's mostly the, the season preview is the, uh, the bread and butter. So uh, that'll be all communicated from the Twitter. Yep. We are daily followers and a lot of good stuff. And, and truth be told, we've used a lot of the information from Pick 6 Previews in our own Twitter rants and, and things that we've done on the podcast. And that's why it's great to have you on the show here, Brett. So we're going to get right into the heart of it. And we're going to start with two segments here. So we're going to have the teams that we feel are getting too much hype in the preseason. So I kind of did a little spreadsheet rundown and looked at all the major publications from Sporting News, College Football News, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Athlon, Lindy, Street and & Smith, and then uh, recently today I did pick up the Phil Steele edition. And there are some teams that are ranked way too high. And so the three of us are going to kind of popcorn around and give you our thoughts for teams that are getting a little bit too much love in the preseason. So I'm going to start off in the SEC and go with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Now, um, Mississippi State, according to all these publications, I have seen them as high as 15, and then I've seen them also not ranked at all by some of these preseason publications. So I, I'm going to be in that camp that says that they are a little bit overrated going into 2019, and here's my reasons why. They've only got 59% of their offensive production returning. Now, they do get a new quarterback, whether it's Tommy Stevens, whether it's uh, Keetion Thompson, or whether it's Jalen Maiden. They also lost their second rusher, leading rusher, and they lose two offensive linemen. They get a couple of in, uh, impact transfers. We already mentioned Stevens at quarterback, and then Isaiah Zuber was a big pickup from Kansas State this offseason. But their pass efficiency was only 91st in the country last year, and they, you know, they, they had one of the better turnover margins in the country, so I kind of figure that that might regress to the mean a little bit this year. I was not overly impressed with their offense a season ago. Defensively, they knocked it out of the park last year. They had almost literally one of the, the best defenses, but only 54% of that defensive production is returning this year. Um, they were 91st in pass efficiency defense, which has to improve, especially in what is becoming a more pass-happy SEC. Now, Joe Moorhead, their head coach, said that they really only implemented about 60% of the offensive playbook last year, but fans in Starkville won't have a lot of patience, especially for this Yankee who came in to try his hand in the Deep South. More importantly, I'm concerned about the five defensive linemen on last year's two deep that they lose. Uh, three guys taken high in the NFL draft. They also lose three starters in that secondary. They weren't very disciplined last year. They were 80th in the country in penalty yards, and if the offense stalls, the punting has to be better than what it was a year ago to help foster in this new defensive group that's uh, aligning up front. Still, I'm not sold on Joe Moorhead as their head coach just yet. Um, I thought that he was an outstanding offensive coordinator, but I wasn't completely sure that he was ready for a Power 5 job just yet, especially in the SEC. If he had gone somewhere, maybe Big 12, or if he had gone ACC even, or even maybe one of the mid-level programs in the Big 10, um, 
that may have been a better stepping stone. But going right down to Stark Vegas, playing in that SEC West, which in my opinion is the toughest division in college football. That's a little bit over his head, at least from what I've seen in year one. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but he seemed to be a little shell-shocked at times last year in the SEC. I just don't see them as a better team than, obviously, Alabama, LSU, or even Auburn, nor do I see them better than Texas A&M in that West. So there's four teams ahead of them in a seven-team division. So to put them as the 15th best team in the country, even with the additions of Tommy Stevens, who's not even assured to start at quarterback, and Isaiah Zuber, I'm just not sold on the Bulldogs being that good. I see them, honestly, at 7-5 and five this year with losses at Auburn, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Arkansas all on the road. Um, I do think that the Hogs are going to get the best of the Bulldogs in that one. And then, obviously, their home game, a loss against Alabama. So that would put them, in my prediction, 6th in the West. No worries, Bulldog faithful. I do have them keeping the golden egg this year and beating Ole Miss for a second straight time. But that's my SEC overrated, gentlemen. Um Bip, you want to get to uh, somebody who else in the college landscape is getting a little bit too much hype this year. Sure, champion. I'm going to travel to our neck of the woods and go with the Big Ten. And Now, I would love to go over how overinflated Michigan is this preseason, in my opinion. <laughs> However, I'm going to give them a break this time, and I'm going to go with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Now, the Hawkeyes come in ranked somewhere around the 18 to 22 range, uh, but I see a lot of potential holes going into the season for them. Now, last year, they finished ranked 92nd offensively in yards per game. However, they were incredibly efficient with that lack of yardage, finishing 44th in the country in points per game. I don't think there's any way that they can keep that pace up if they struggle to move the ball again in 2019, especially with what they lost on offense. So, obviously, they lose uh, Hawkinson and Fant. They also lose their uh, top wide receiver as well. And last year, helping them score so many points is the fact that they finished 8th in the country with 27 takeaways. I don't see them repeating that feat either. So, uh, they do return Nathan Stanley as he returns for his third season as starting quarterback and should be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten. But this is a very weak crop of quarterbacks to start the season for the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, as we don't really know what we're going to get from Fields, Mertz, and some of the other first-year starters. Um, In addition to... The tight ends and Nick Easley, um, they also lose five All-Big Ten selections from that defense and the team's third leading tackler in Jack Hockaday. And maybe more so than anything else, that schedule doesn't do them any favors. They're at Iowa State, Michigan, Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. And the home games that they have against Penn State, Purdue, and Minnesota won't be easy either. If two of the three up-and-comers coming uh, in, in the West, in Minnesota, Nebraska, or Purdue take off the way that a lot of people think that they could, I think Iowa could be looking at a fourth or even fifth place finish in the West this year in the Big Ten. Yeah, and somewhere Jeffrey the Greek has thrown something through the wall, so uh, <laughs> we'll have to give him a chance to recover. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what about you, Brett? Who's, uh, you know, we've given you those two teams. Who's a team that you see is, is getting a little bit too much love from the national publications? All right, my first overrated team, I'll start with Oregon. Um, nationally, I think everyone's kind of penciling them in as a top 10 team or even as high as maybe a playoff contender. I just don't see it at all. I think that that's kind of lazy. I think people are seeing Justin Herbert coming back and he's being touted as the future number one overall pick at quarterback. Right. And people see, they hear that, and they see the Oregon flashy uniforms and think it's going to be like Chip Kelly, um, the hyper-tempo offense and putting up 50 a game and just that guaranteed big offense. But that really wasn't the case last year under uh, new head coach Mario Cristobal. Um, he being a former offensive lineman, he's gone you know, less towards uh, spread-up tempo to more of a ball-control offense. And you mm-hmm. see that reflected in the, in the explosiveness stats. 
Oregon, of course, was always in the top five in rush explosiveness with their little speed backs. Uh, they fell from top five down to 103rd last year in that category. So it's not the, the usual Oregon offense. And even at times the play calling was questionable. Uh, I know in the Arizona game, that's an all, that's a defense that you should be able to put up 50 against. Uh, the play calling was pretty stale and looked like um, Arizona was just reading routes and, and kind of had him figured out. And that's a bottom-of-the-barrel uh, bottom defense. So that, uh, the Stanford game was atrocious. Um, their, their time management and game management at the end there, um, they should have easily won that game and in several chances to, to clinch it, they blew it. Um, and then, of course, on defense, uh, losing Jim Levitt isn't being talked about enough uh, nationally. Their defensive coordinator, he's a guy who actually turned Colorado into a division champ. He, uh, they were struggling. He turned that defense around at Colorado. He helped turn it around at Oregon, too. And uh, w- without him, I think they take a step back defensively. So, And, yes, I know that they've recruited really well. Um, they just landed their top recruiting class in school history. But I think even that would be a year or two away from developing on the field in terms of actual playing time. So that's that's a pick that I think is the most overrated team in the country. Yeah, and, and I agree with that one as well. I think uh, so much of it rides on Justin Herbert. But, uh, you know, you look behind him, he goes down. I know that their their backup had a good spring, but that, that changes the whole landscape for Oregon. And, and I'm not sold on their run game either. They, you know, for Mario Cristobal being a guy that coaches offensive line and, and wants to run between the tackles, they didn't do a good job running between the tackles last year. And Bip and I have made a couple uh, remarks about his failure to take a knee in the Stanford game last year. Um, oh my <laughs> so, oh. so you touched on poor play uh-huh. calling. That was, uh, that was the, the epitome of it. Yeah, that's the pinnacle of it. <laughs> right. Um, what else on Oregon? Um, oh, just one quick thing. Like I mentioned earlier, you can't always just look at the win-loss. Um, yes, they won nine games last year. But when you break it down, they didn't play a single Power 5 opponent out of conference. Uh, probably the easiest slate of non-conference last year. Instead, they get Auburn this year. So that, that could be a loss right out the gate. Um, and then when you dig into their wins, yep. they actually rated 28th out of 65 in my game grader. Um, so it wasn't a very dominant performance, uh, despite the nine-win column. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go to another one here and I'm going to stay uh, in the Pac-12 and I'm going to go with Washington State. Now, I loved seeing what Mike Leach did with the Cougars last year. They were picked by most people to finish 5th in the Pac-12 North and they ended up finishing 2nd right behind Washington. They just couldn't win that snowball game in the Apple Cup, but uh, Washington State I've seen as as ranked as high as 16 this year, but then there's others who don't rank them at all. They returned 58% of their offensive production, and it looks good as Mike Leach offenses tend to. Uh, they were ranked 30th in the nation. Uh, but my question is, will Gage Gubrud be Leach's next best project? And more importantly, will he stay healthy? He had some injury issues last year at Eastern Washington. Um, he was an All-American, but he sat out the spring with an ankle, ankle problem. If not, whoever replaces him will be going against some pretty good defenses on that schedule. I'm looking at Utah, Arizona State, Cal, and eventually Washington once they shore those guys up in the final game of the year. You know that that Husky defense under Jimmy Lake is going to be stout. The running back room is a little bit thin behind Max Borgie. Uh, We talked about in our last podcast here on A Bowl Full of Chips that Dion McIntosh comes over from Notre Dame, but he's new into the program, doesn't have a lot of time there yet, so he's got to adapt. There's also incoming freshman Jameer Thomas. But, you know, when you only go three deep, I know it's a Mike Leach air raid offense, but they're going to need to be able to run the ball better. They were 128th in the country in rush offense last year. Again, pass offense was outstanding. Great season from Gardner Minshew, but you have to have that complimentary run game, as we saw toward the end of the year. They needed to be able to put it between the tackles. 
Um, Mike, or on defense, they returned 64% of their production, and they were ranked 50th best in the country. And I like Tracy Clays. I think he's one of the more underrated coordinators in America. The defensive line should be good, but they sacrificed speed for size at linebacker, and, and that could pose some troubles in the red zone where they were not very good last year. They finished 98th in the NCAA in red zone defense. I think that they've shown that they've been a little bit undisciplined. They were penalized a lot last year and need to clean that up. My power predictor rankings have them just above Stanford for third best in the North, but that schedule they play is rough. They play at Houston and Energy Stadium in week three. Then they travel to Utah and to Arizona State from the South. They play at Oregon, Cal, who they've had trouble with in recent years, the, the Cougars have. And then they play Washington from the North, um, you know, in that finale in the Apple Cup, and they have an issue with those pesky Oregon State Beavers coming in six days before the Huskies in the Apple Cup. I think that that Oregon State game might pose a little trouble for Leach's Cougars because you know that they'll be looking ahead to the Huskies. So I see 7-5 and five and a potential losing record for the Cougars in conference play. Um, Bip, you want to go to another one that you have? Yeah, I'll touch upon uh, my last uh or one of my last teams here uh, real quick in the SEC, and I'm going to go with Texas A&M. Uh, so they lose their top three, or they, they lose uh, three of their top four offensive players in Travion Williams, Eric McCoy, and Jay Sternberger. They lose the most on the defensive side of the ball. So they return three in the secondary, but only one from their front seven, and that's troubling because last year they finished second in the country in rushing yards per game, but 109th in passing yards per game. So that stout rush defense is basically all gone. Um, so not a good sign for the Aggies going into this year defensively. They rank just outside the top 10 uh, by uh, a lot of publications and often higher than conference foes LSU and Auburn, both of which I expect to finish higher than the Aggies this year. They have a daunting schedule in which they're at Clemson, at Georgia, at LSU, and then they have Auburn and Alabama at home. They should be in just about every game this year, but I think the losses on offense and more so the losses on defense are going to uh, make the Aggies finish more around the the, uh, the the low 20s or maybe just outside the top 25, given the losses and the uh, schedule that they have coming into 2019. Yeah, I uh, that's another team that I looked at as, as maybe getting a little too much hype. Now, you look at their roster, they're certainly loaded with, uh, you know, quote-unquote star talent. And I like Kellen Mond. I certainly like Jimbo Fisher as a coach. Um, and I do like their, their incoming freshman tight end, Baylor Cup. I think that he could be an All-American by his sophomore year, if not earlier. But... Again, playing in that SEC West, it's just hard for me to give them that nod in year two of Jimbo Fisher's scheme. I think he's going to need one more year to kind of uh, get his system in place and get everything going. I like their running backs. I think they're going to have one of the most underrated running back cores in the country. Um, you know, but again, that that back end and the secondary, uh, you know, linebackers and secondary on defense, I, I'm not 100% sold on just yet. And, and again, that schedule is one of the toughest in the country. So, um Brett, uh, how about another overrated team for you or, or a team that's getting too much hype? Another overrated team I have is Oklahoma. Uh, yes, they're still obviously a top 10 caliber team, but overrated in terms of being considered an automatic playoff team that I'm seeing around Twitter. Um, so you got to dig into this a little bit. I, I did make the same mistake last year. I thought that once Baker Mayfield left, there'd be no way to replace this number one explosive offense. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and then Kyler Murray proved me wrong. He comes in. They don't miss a beat. In fact, I think they took a couple steps forward. Um, they improved by six points a game offensively and still remain at that number one explosiveness level. So, But will that happen again? Can they? Can he go three straight transfer quarterbacks that turn out to be uh, Heisman caliber? 
Jalen Hurts, it's it's rare to find a free agent quarterback that has a national title on his resume and, and twenty six and two starting record. But um, I, I think that the the bigger issue with Oklahoma is offensive line. Uh, that offensive line won the Joe Moore Award last year, which goes to the best overall offensive line unit. Uh, and four of those five are gone. And uh, they weren't just you know serviceable linemen in the Big Twelve. All four of them were picked in the NFL draft. In fact, two of them left early, yep. so uh, two are gone ahead of schedule. What they had prepared for twenty nineteen. So I think that that's going to be a major liability. Um, you see in the spring game with uh, Jalen Hurts and backup Tanner Mordecai scrambling around on every play, uh, running right, running away from rushers um, on every snap. So it just didn't look right. Uh, the offensive line is a major liability, but more so on defense. Um, you know, ever since Brent Venables left, a, a lot has been documented on him, what he's done to Clemson. But you got to look back on uh, his impact on Oklahoma. Uh, over his seven years there, they were a top 25 average mm-hmm. in defense. In the seven years since he left, that's fallen to, to the 50s and 60s range. And even in the last three years, they've averaged in the 90s uh, once his players fully graduated out. So an absolute liability on defense. Um, and it's not just the quantity. I'm, I'm sure you're thinking, well, yeah, they're in the Big 12. It's it's a hyper-tempo league. You're getting a lot more snaps to, to play against. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the quantity stats were terrible. But really, the per play, the quality – uh, the efficiency stats were still bad. They were down in the hundreds in most categories and that on a per-play basis. So really defensively is a serious issue and enough to consider that they might not be a lock to win the league and a lock to be a playoff contender. Oh, it's interesting. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts on new defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. Do you think it's going to take him some time to get adjusted? I like what he did at Washington State in, in a very limited sample size. I don't really know that I want to qualify his time at Ohio State last year because he was co-coordinator with Greg Schiano. But coming in, I think that they really can't get any worse defensively. And I think they're, they've got the athletes to get it done. And now that they've got a, a set established coordinator who is basically been given the reins and said, okay, look, you've got to be the guy this year. It's no more uh, Stoops. It's no more Ruffin McNeil. It's it's you, Mr. Grinch. So are you sold on him or do you need do you need maybe uh, five or six games into the year to, to see what he can really do? No, I really do like the Grinch hire. Um, like you mentioned, Washington State, I mean, he was the offense, but he never had the uh, well, Grinch are super team and a lot of gambles, um, which created a negative plays and turnovers. Uh, and yeah, they occasionally got gashed for a long play, but either way, Mike Leach is getting the ball back quicker to his to his quarterback. Um, so yeah, year over year at Washington State, he tripled the amount of turnovers forced um, and really brought them from four, five, six win area to nine, ten uh, win area. So I think he was great there. Uh, good point about Ohio State. I'm not really I'm not really putting that on his report card. Uh, that was Greg Schiano's unit, really. So um, Ohio yeah. State's uh, breakdowns on defense, I can't really. Find. He was only there a year too, so, um, so yeah, I think he might need a year. I'm not going to need it. Um, in the press yeah. conference after the spring, they asked him how it, how the team is looking, secondary is looking, and usually from spring game folks uh, speak, it's all positive, like oh the team's progressing. But he was pretty blunt, and he said he was saying, you know, and the Big Twelve units. So uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done. There are some key pieces that are young. Uh, Ronnie Perkins returns as the leading uh, that he led the team in sacks last year as a true freshman, so he's going to start at defensive end. Murray was a machine. He set a single game tackle back in that Army scrum. He's recruited really well. It's just a matter of translating it on the field. Um, something that the Stoops uh, do for there. Um, you know, I was shocked. Um, well, sorry, I wasn't shocked when Riley took over. It was late in yep. late in the preseason, and he kept on Mike Stoops. I, I, th- I figured it was too late in the game to make a switch then. But I was shocked going into the second year that they went all off season and into 2018, and he kept Mike Stoops on. Um, and saw the wheel last year, so 
I think the, the hire was a year late, but maybe he got his guy in Grinch and uh, could turn around. But I mean, but again, that's a liability. I can't make a play right now with that in mind. So, well, uh, those are the teams that we think are, are going to are getting too much love. What about the teams now? And, and this is a special place to, to my heart. I love the underdogs. I love the teams that overachieve and are vastly underrated. So we'll start with you to get this kicked off, Brett. Who's a team that you see as should be getting more publicity than what they are and are going to turn some heads in the college football world in 2019? We're looking for you. We're we going to find you. I'm letting you know now so you can run and tell that. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, I'd go with TCU. Um, you mentioned a team that's uh, underrated usually and overperforms. That's that's literally, I feel like that's on Gary Patterson's resume. I mean, the guy, uh, they're never really a top recruiter in the Big 12, but he, he maximizes talent, uh, his defensive scheme. Uh, within a, an offense-heavy league is really the differentiator for them. Um, so at record, you look back at 20, uh, 2018 last fall, ton of injuries, uh, and it was a younger team to begin with. So, um, But coming back this year, you had experienced offensive line. Um, you're going to have better quarterback play. There's really no way to get around that. Injuries were a problem. They were on their, their walk-on fourth stringer at times. Um, so you're going to have a, a, a healthy quarterback competition, and, and event, eventually a guy will emerge that's high caliber. So that's settled. Um, at receiver, Jalen Rager's back and Tay Barber, who's the speed guy. And I remember watching that TCU Ohio State game, and really, uh, you could just mm-hmm. feel the speed on TCU's team, especially well, and Ohio State. But um, so before injuries struck, they really did have the speed. Uh, that's all back. Uh, but really, the defense is the differentiator. Like I said, um, Patterson's four-two-five match uh, match read defense. Uh, it's it's given Big Twelve offenses fits over the years, and you think by year. What are they, year seven or year eight in the league? Teams would have it figured out, but he keeps uh, coming back with top. They were again the top defense in the country last year, despite the youth and the uh, and the injuries. Um, you're looking at a ten man rotation up front, even though they lose uh, Collier and uh, Ben Banagu uh, at D- at D tackle and D line. Um, and then of course the secondary is crucial for Patterson, and he has one of the best quarterback cornerback duos in the country with uh, yeah. Jeff Gladney and Julius Lewis. Gladney, it was a, a travesty that he didn't win um, all Big 12 first team last year. He definitely deserved that caliber uh, yeah, of did. honor. So, yeah, I think TCU is a team to, to push way better than the record last year and uh, push for a league title this year. Yeah, and I like Garrett Wallow at linebacker as well. He's kind of one of those strong safety outside linebacker hybrid guys um, and really could be the next TCU stud coming from Gary Patterson's defense. I never worry about their defense. I like what you say about the defensive line. You know, they bring in Shamik Blackshear, a transfer from South Carolina, who's pretty, pretty highly touted. Um, you know, to team with Corey Bethley and yeah. Ross Blacklock, who is coming back from injury, who sat out last year. So, and I agree with you about Gladney. He's one of my favorite cover corners to watch. And, and I was shocked as you were that he was not first team, first team all big 12. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They have Blackshear um, on the starting depth chart. He isn't even on campus yet. So that shows you the caliber of, of starter. He's going to be immediately. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, so Patterson loves speed on his defense, especially, uh, bringing safety type players down to linebacker, and I think the next guy, even even below Garrett Wallow and uh, and Montreal Wilson, will be Demarion Holmes. Uh, he's, yep. he's bringing him down from safety. Like I said, just an added speed boost in this, um, you know, in this in this passing league, it's crucial. So you're getting some uh, what normally would be uh, mismatches for the offense. He's flipping it back to the defensive side. So yeah, lots of like and uh, really under the radar because of the record last year. Uh, it's probably getting glossed over yep. uh, nationally. But when you really dig into it, this team was riddled with injuries and all that's back. And um, 
a staff you can trust over a decade or decade and a half now. Yeah, and and I think last year's offensive low output was an anomaly under Sonny Cumbie. I really like him as an offensive coach, and I think that we're going to see him get back to to par this year. And and I agree. I could easily see the Horn Frogs take the Big Twelve because it is kind of up in the air between uh, you know obviously Oklahoma and Texas, but I think that there's a, a tier that's very close below them in Iowa State and TCU. Um, and I'm going to throw even Baylor maybe in there as as give, given a fight chance if, if things stack out the right way for them. What about you, Bip? Uh, who's a who's an underrated team, in your opinion, going into 2019? Who's not getting the love they should? Well, I've talked about them several times before, but I'm going to go into them again, Chappie. I'm going to go Vanderbilt, and the Commodores have one of the more exciting offenses coming back this year. Kalijah Lipscomb, Jared Pinkney, Keyshawn Vaughn will all challenge for first-team All-SEC honors, and uh, they weren't a team that really stacked up the numbers offensively as far as cumulative numbers, but they were one of the more explosive, explosive offenses offenses last year. Now they do lose uh, starting quarterback Kyle Shermer, but I think they have potentially an even better quarterback coming in, uh, Ball State transfer quarterback Riley Neal, who offers around the same completion percentage, has a pretty uh, decent arm, but adds that degree of mobility as he's had over 1,300 career rushing yards and 15 scores on the ground as well. Um, so I think that he uh, combines with uh, everything that they have coming back offensively. They return... Um, a few uh, offensive linemen as well to really give this uh, one of the more underrated offenses in the SEC and, and throughout the country as well. Now, their defense is what worries me the most, um, as they did lose a decent amount. Uh, but if you look at their schedule from last year, they had close games in which they were leading or tied for most of the game against Missouri, Kentucky, Florida, Baylor, and they were the team that really uh, gave Notre Dame the, the biggest scare throughout their entire um, regular season. So I think if they can get to the point to where they can close out games this year, um, there's a lot of manageable games on their schedule. They op- open up with Georgia. That could be a trap game for Georgia to open up the season. Um, at Purdue should be one of the more exciting uh, non-conference games of the entire season, in my opinion. And then uh, as they get into SEC play, they have some manageable games, uh, home against Missouri at South Carolina, home against Kentucky, and then a road game against uh, Tennessee. Those should all be well within their reach, and they could be one of those teams that pulls off a surprise or two uh, home against Georgia or home against LSU. Yeah, I think they're going to get solid quarterback play from Riley Neal. They've got great receivers, as you touched on. You know, In fact, Derek Mason calls those three the big three, and, and that's kind of their mantra going into 2019. You know, My questions are on the defensive mm-hmm. side, but I, I like the, the transfer pickups that they got. Cameron Watkins and Dante Carrier-Williams, both coming from Big Ten schools at cornerback. Um you know, if they if they can add to that defensive line and fill in with some of the the losses that they had there, and also at linebacker, you know, Vanderbilt, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to think that they would be a slight level below what Kentucky did last year, and kind of rising up from the SEC and finishing anywhere from you know second to fourth in the in the SEC East. Of course, they're going to have to you know pull off some some big shockers and, and have some dominoes fall their way, but. I don't think it's a terrible pick uh, from underrated. I'm going to go Florida State, and I'm going to put all my chips in and say that the Seminoles are going to finish second in the Atlantic Division and possibly with double-digit wins. Now, here's why. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know two words, Kendall Bryles. As the new offensive coordinator and returning 74% of their offensive production from last year, this Seminole offense is going to be humming. 
They were in the bottom 20 in nearly every category, and Bryles will almost certainly bring them into the top 50 at the very least, if not higher. And that'll make these talented players play with more confidence. And we all know that confident athletes make for dangerous opponents. Now, James Blackman, who is going to be starting the fall camp as the number one guy, he completed 65% of his passes a year ago with a 5-1 to touchdown-to-interception ratio as a backup. And Bryles will be a great tutor to him. And even if he doesn't hold as the starter, there's two other good quarterbacks in Alex Hornibrook from Wisconsin and Jordan Travis, a transfer from Louisville, who could make some things happen, Travis especially with his legs. But they need to have a set starter going into week one if they're going to get anywhere this year. In the uh, other positions on offense, Akers and LeBorn at running back I think are a great one-two combination. Wide receivers DJ Matthews, Tamorian Terry, Keith Gavin, plus their tight ends Trey McKitty and Cameron McDonald are two big physical targets at tight end. And we know that uh, Bryles likes to use those tight ends effectively. On the defensive side of the ball, defensive coordinator Harlan Barnett came from good stock at Michigan State and has a lot of talent to work with on that side. He's got 80% of his returning production coming back, especially in the back seven. I like their cornerbacks, Asante Samuel Jr. and Stanford Samuels, teaming with Taylor and Lars Woodbay over the top at safeties. Now, they finished in the top third in rush defense, sacks, and defensive yards per play, and I do like Marvin Wilson at D-tackle. I'm going to touch on what you hit on in the last podcast, Bip, about him being a, a first-team All-American candidate. He's going to team up with Joshua Kando and Dennis Briggs on that front. Yep. Now, Briggs is a youngster that many coaches are saying you got to keep an eye out for. One opposing coach was actually quoted in saying that uh, Florida State, quote, has some scary dudes on that inside of that line. So I, I'm seeing a return to defensive dominance for the Seminoles. Now, FSU was near the bottom in the country in offensive and defensive yards per point and turnover margin. And according to college football expert Phil Steele, these are two statistical categories where teams will typically bounce back the next year and their record improves about 70% of the time. So that's an interesting note. Their schedule sets up nicely. After playing Boise and Jacksonville, which is a pseudo home game for the Seminoles, it's manageable until game six against Clemson, when I think both teams will be undefeated. Then after that, they get both Syracuse and Miami back-to-back at home in Dote Campbell, and then they finish the season at Florida, where they've won four straight in the Swamp. So all those factors playing in, I think that Florida State, even given their atrocious offensive line last year, this Bryles offensive system doesn't really require a dominant offensive line they just need to be you know solid and sturdy and I think that they will they'll be able to give Blackman the the time to catch set and throw and let those athletes create plays in space I think that Akers is a big bruising back and he's got great breakaway speed same with LeBorn so if LeBorn is healthy I think that this is a, a much improved Florida State offense and like I said that confidence will carry over and their defense I saw some good things from last year and, and you know they're real high on the last two recruiting classes who we're going to see a lot of them on the field this year. So or Florida state is my big underrated team in 2019. How about you, Brett? Who do you see? I'm sorry, Bip. No, I was going to say, you talk about a playmaker. I think Tamori and Terry makes all American this year, especially in that, uh, Kendall Browse offense. Yeah, he's certainly got the, the skill set, and again, with the play calling that Bryles does, keep in mind, in his last three stops, Kendall Bryles' offenses have finished in the top 15 in the last four years, and we're talking about at Florida Atlantic, um, uh, Houston, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other place where he was. Baylor. Um, Baylor. Oh, Baylor. Baylor. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, 
Baylor, we know, had high-flying offenses, but, you know, those other two schools were not necessarily, you know, teams that are loaded with five-star talent, but he still made them look All-American on the field. So, Brett, how about you? Who do you see coming in as underrated and, and high-flying in 2019? Yeah, just real quick on Florida State, I think that that Bryles hire really saved Taggart. I think through another uh, – Mm-hmm. Another knuckleball of five or six win season, he would have been fired after two just two short years. <laughs> um, they were one of the right. biggest regressions from 2017 to 18, and that was coming off of a six and six year. So I'm really really low on Taggart, but I think the Bryles hire, uh, yeah, that 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 keeps them in the mix. It's going to be a great hire. And you know, um, uh, not to cut you off, but Bip and I were talking about that previously too. We're not too high on Taggart, and honestly, I think this might be a uh, a potential job interview for. Um, for Bryles, if, if things go well enough and they don't see, you know, from the administration that, that Taggart is the guy, it could be that he gets an exit and Bryles gets handed the whistle, uh, even if they have success this year because of the fact that, you know, he's got that lineage and he's definitely ready for that next step, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for my next uh, underrated team, I'm going with, back to the Big Ten. We're going with Nebraska. Um, like I mentioned at the top, um, you need to dig a little bit deeper in its records. Uh, like I said, Two, uh, two different four and eight seasons aren't exactly the same. Uh, so in Frost's first year, yes, the record was still four and eight, but they were actually the top 10 most improved teams uh, in my game grader. And it, it, it kind of makes sense when you dig into it intuitively. Um, five of those losses were by five points or less. So you look back at that Colorado game. I mean, that should have been a win. The Troy game was without the starting quarterback, Adrian Martinez. Uh, Northwestern, Nebraska had a 10-point lead with about three minutes left and just totally blew that game. Uh, and then they – I'm not saying they would have won, but they, they could have won against Ohio State and Iowa where they were uh, within a score late. So I think this was more like a seven or eight win team in his debut, and you tend to see a huge boost in the second year, uh, especially taking over what was a what was a roster that, uh, that Mike Riley really ignored the strength and conditioning program. The Husker Power program was really gone. Um, so – and that, that showed it back in 2016 and 17. So I think Frost, the second year of development there – uh, second year offense being installed, maybe some more complexities, um, getting better pieces involved. He has Wandale Robinson, the number one player out of Kentucky, coming in. Uh, Dedrick Mills, the former uh, leading rusher at Georgia Tech, is coming in. But really, a quarterback is really yep. the differentiator. I, I can't imagine. I, I don't think there's another quarterback I'd rather have starting for me um, amongst the Big Ten quarterbacks than Adrian Martinez. Uh, well, especially in that offense, yep. I guess the only guy you could consider would be a uh, Justin Fields if he lives up to his potential. But from what we've seen so far, this uh, is the guy. And uh, and the last key piece on Nebraska really is schedule, um, because I, I look a lot at not, sorry at uh, cross divisional schedules because those kind of rotate year to year and can create huge imbalances on league records. Uh, and nothing is yeah. bigger than the, the imbalance you see in the Big Ten West having to play Big Ten East um, and. I'm not saying East versus West. I'm saying within the East uh, teams, there's a clear top four and a clear bottom three. Um, so if you're a West a West team drawing some of these teams, it's almost you can uh, yeah. you know, write in a win or a loss based on schedule. So um, out of the, the super pack of Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State, uh, Nebraska only draws one of them. Uh, now in past years, it's kind of a welcome to the Big Ten gift. Uh, they've, they've gotten a lot of those. In some years, all four, some three. Um this year, just one. They get Ohio State, and it's at home. Uh, but the other, the other two West contenders, Iowa draws two of them. Wisconsin draws right. three of them. So, I mean, right away, you can almost chalk in a couple losses for for the other contenders, and it's almost like yeah. they have a game lead. And uh, and Nebraska hosts both of them, Iowa and Wisconsin. So 
they're my pick to win the Big Ten West. Um, not sure how that stacks up nationally, but coming off a four and eight year, I think they'd be a bit underrated. Yeah, and I'm right with you. I have them winning the Big Ten West as well, which is going to upset many of my Northwestern followers. But uh, I just I like Scott Frost. I I think it was great of him to say the things that he did after the Michigan game last year, where he called out the toughnesses of his team. I love Adrian Martinez as both a runner and a passer. I actually like him more as a passing quarterback than I do as a runner. Uh, a lot of people give too much credit to his feet, but he he wants to throw the ball, and Scott Frost wants him to throw the ball first and foremost. Um, I like J.D. Spielman on the outside. I, I'm interested to see what Wandale Robinson can do, and and hopefully he's not penalized too much by that uh, by that marijuana cite or citation that he got. But um, you know, there's, there's a lot of athletes for for that Scott Frost offense, and his offensive coordinator Troy Taylor is. Um, uh, or I'm sorry, Troy Walters is is going to be one of the next big names that's going to get a, a coaching hire from within that system. So uh, they, their schedule, like you said, stacks up really nicely. And yeah, they get Ohio State at, I think, just the right point in the season. They get them at home. And I'm not sure, uh, but I, I'm curious to know if Nebraska has pegged that as a night game. I think that, that would greatly help their chances even more. So I'd be interested to see. That would be a great uh ESPN ABC primetime game on that Saturday night. Yeah, that's uh, that's really Nebraska's chance to to get back to where they want to be on a national stage because you look at their August and September. Uh, it's it's South Alabama, Northern Illinois, which there's no way they're going to let that uh, that rematch go because if you remember two years ago, um, yep, NIU came in and beat them. There's yep. no way they're doing that again, right? Uh, and then road games at Illinois is probably the the lowest teams in the conference right now and mm-hmm. at Colorado, another revenge game and half that stadium is going to be red anyway. So yeah, uh, I think they're going to be coming into that Ohio state game four and oh it's at home. It could be a game day atmosphere and really the first chance in a while that Nebraska could claim that, Hey, we're, we're back to being a conference contender, which sounds laughable. If you're looking at this 20 years ago where they were Alabama of today, I know, um, but, but that's really their chance to kind of, Start to you know start to reclaim their place within the league. Sure. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here with giving our you know each of us three our four best teams to start 2019. Now, just to clarify for the listeners, these are the teams who basically they're our top four to go into 2019. So we're not necessarily saying that this is going to be the the college football playoff final four, but this is going into the kickoff on August 24th, which is only 67 days away. These are the four teams that are going to be the best going into 2019. So, um, Bip, you want to start us off and give us your best four to start 2019 and maybe a a quick sentence or two about why. Yep. Uh, So, first, I'm going to go with the uh, Crimson Tide of Alabama. I like their passing game a little bit better than Clemson, and I like their defense better as well. Number two, I am going to go with the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I could just read you their entire (laughs) offensive roster and be done with my argument there. Uh, But, obviously, they have a decent secondary returning and lots of talent to replace everyone that they lost in that front seven. Number three, I have Oklahoma, just because I can't pick against Lincoln Riley anymore. I just physically can't do it. Um, and and I think that defense could be much improved bringing over Alex Grinch. Uh, number four, rounding it out, I, I'm going to go with the Georgia Bulldogs. I really like their running attack. That offensive line is probably going to be the best in the country. Um, I've talked previously about how much I, I like Jake Fromm as a quarterback um, and the, the leader of that team, and that defense is going to be fast and scary, similar to uh, years past of uh, Georgia Bulldog teams. Yeah, I like those picks. Um, I, I will 
differ in some ways, but Brett, let's go to you. Who's your top four to start 2019 and maybe a brief explanation as to why for each one? Sure. Um, um, I went back and looked at some historical teams and threw them into the, in the, my game grader formula. And uh, 2018 Clemson was grading out uh, Nebraska, but above 01 Miami uh, for some context, that's some good company to be in. And, uh, but especially they, they peaked um, after the quarterback situation was handled. Yeah. And uh, that, that, I mean, they, they seem to progress as the season went on, even which is scary. Um, yes, there's some questions on defense, but um, I saw a stat where um, Brent Venables played the most players of any uh, any Power Five team in, Amer- uh, in, in the country. Um, basically, so past the starters level, he's getting a lot of guys rotated in. So when they do lose that all NFL D line, um, there are just five stars and four stars and experienced guys uh, waiting in the wings. I, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting a small drop off on defense, but I think the offense will more than cover. Um, so at number two, I'm actually going with Georgia above Alabama this year in the SEC um, because when I look back, they're, they're very close with recruiting. It used to be that uh, Nick Saban had you know a monopoly on recruiting, always being number one. Uh, Georgia is now in that realm. Yep. And uh, and even the last couple times they played, I think that Georgia, I, I could say should have won both. I'll say could have won both. Uh, the national title where um, you know it took them to overtime, had a late lead and blew it. And then of course yes, year where they were up, I think twenty eight to three missed a field goal, and then really allowed Alabama to come back. So, I mean, the whole landscape would look different if those went the other way. Um, I think this is the year they get it done. Uh, Georgia 2, uh, Bama right there at 3. I'm not going to go crazy and throw Bama out of my top 4. Right. Uh, so they're still a top 3 roster. I mean, you, you just can't you can't throw them any lower than top 4. <laughs> um, and then rounding out my top 4, this isn't my playoff per se, because I don't think both SECs are getting in. Right. But um, at number 4, I think Ohio State. Um, for so long, it was Bama one, Ohio State two in recruiting. They have a very talented roster. They keep reloading at receiver, especially. Um, I think the coaching change I'm a little bit worried about, uh, but I think they have so much talent up there still, and I, I'm still a believer in Justin Fields. I think he was a bit mismanaged at Georgia. It seemed like every time he was put in there, they were just calling quarterback draws or wildcat package. I was like, dude, let him, let him throw the ball. Let's see what we have. He's a number one quarterback overall. So I think a uh, spring and a summer and a fall with Ryan Day as his, yeah. as his coach will be huge for him. And I think uh, they're still a team to beat in the Big Ten. Yeah. So that's my top four of this year. Yeah, uh, good picks. I, I'm going to go with Clemson at number one. And I've always believed that unless there's some complete disparity – a team that wins the national championship deserves to start the next season at number one. And I know that's a debatable and controversial uh, topic, but they've got a great offense with a great defensive coach on the other side, you know, and certainly great offensive coaches on that side of the ball too. athletes abound. They've got athleticism that are going to help restock that defense headlined by Xavier Thomas. I really like him as an all American defensive end this year in his first year starting really uh, Brent Venables, I think is the best assistant coach in college football right now and and I just gotta I gotta go with all those athletes and with Dabo he knows what he's doing at the top so until someone can knock him off I'm gonna keep Clemson at number one number two I am gonna go Alabama because well it's Bama they've got a great quarterback solid running back uh, I think Najee Harris is gonna be in the Heisman contention into November where some people are are questioning him to start 2019 I think they've got the best wide receiver group in the SEC Defensively, they're always solid under Saban. And I think Pete Golding, who's their new defensive coordinator, he's an up-and-coming coach and perhaps one of the next Saban disciples to make his way in the coaching world as a head man in in the next three to five years. 
Number three, I'm going to go Oklahoma. And similar to what you said, Bip, Lincoln Riley has proven that whatever he touches turns to gold. And so until that goes otherwise, I'm going to stay with him in the top four anyway. This offense will again score points. I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts being the same caliber that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were, but he's certainly a winner, and I think that he's a good leader. And when you've got all that talent at wide receiver to throw to, I could probably line up there and, and at least maybe make uh, <laughs> some headlines. Maybe not Heisman, but some headlines. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I do like Grinch as the main guy running the defense and not having to be a co-defensive coordinator like he was last year at Ohio State, especially with All-American players like uh, Murray and then defensive end Ronnie Perkins. I think that defense is going to be vastly improved, and, and they've got some talent at defensive back. I just think that they were not as well coached as they should have been last year, and Playing under two defensive coordinators, that's going to make anybody's head spin. So Oklahoma three, and then I'm going to go with Ohio State four as well, Brett. Um, I, a lot of talent at the skill positions. I like Justin Fields' potential. I think that Ryan Day uh, seems to be a really good quarterback tutor. And, you know, Kevin Wilson is his offensive coordinator, one of the best play callers in the game on the offensive side. Uh, at least he's shown that in, in the past. And I, what really does it for me is the new defensive coordinators, Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley. Now, Madison, I think, was one of the best coordinator hires in the offseason coming over from Michigan. So not only does it, that angle play into it, but the guy knows how to coach, especially on the defensive front. I think that this defense is going to be one of the most improved in the country and one of the best in the Big Ten, and I will mark it down and put my stamp on it. So anybody who wants to chime in and, and disagree, feel free. Um, they, uh, you know... Their schedule sets up nicely. They get Penn State and Michigan State in the horseshoe, and you know they it all comes down to the final weekend in Ann Arbor, but they've owned that series. So Ohio State, a lot of talent, especially at wide receiver, and, and they're going to be really deep on defense this year. So the Buckeyes are my number four. So that rounds it out for us. Uh, I think this is a, a very good, very insightful, very deep podcast, gentlemen. So thanks for your, your insight. Agreed. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. So that was fun, boys. Uh, nothing better than a few college football minds, prepared ones anyway, getting together to back and forth the season to be. We, we sincerely thank Brett from Pick 6 Previews for being a part of the show today. And Brett, I can speak for Bip when I say you are more than welcome to join us again. And we earnestly look forward to future connections, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any, anytime, we'd love to hop back on. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're almost there a couple months ago. Um, I know these, these months are long, but it really uh, just builds up the excitement. So, yeah, anytime. Uh, it was a great time. Good, good. Glad to hear. Well, again, thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. And remember, when it comes to complete college football coverage, BFC brings football closer. So if you haven't yet subscribed, please do. Give us three seconds of your time and hit that subscribe button. Make things so easy to get the content you need in the future. Consider it college football room service. And you don't even have to make the call. Please also share the good word with friends and family that eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed college football. Remind them about A Bowl Full of Chips, the best-growing college football podcast out there. So overrated, underrated, you heard from the best, and hopefully your team wasn't degraded. But if it's so that we offended you, chime in on Twitter and give us a thought or two. The season is coming, it's creeping, it's near, and when you need a snack with football cheer, get it on a bowl full of chips. Done right, right here. Triple zeros, everybody. Have a good night.